God kept putting something on my heart, so I'm changing my talk tonight. In fact, as I've moved through the day, it's, it's, uh, it's pressed me. And uh, we've talked about risking our hearts, our leadership, our vision. And uh, for some reason, there's, 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 I'm not one of these guys that, uh, that, you know, I see a big Jesus or something. But I am almost overwhelmed with a sense of, of uh, uh, men giving up tonight. Um, you can't live much life and get gray hair or your hair turn loose. You can't live much life and not have been defeated. And I think that, uh, that for me to be sensitive to what I discern, we're going to talk about the risk of the comeback. I was on an airplane a few years ago. It was early, early in Atlanta. No, it was in Dallas. And uh, I'd been upgraded to first class flying a lot on Delta. And I'd gotten settled in my aisle seat there against the bulkhead at the back of first class. And the lights were down low and everybody was getting on. And finally, this guy came in the front door. And when he came in the front door, you know, you glance up at somebody a bit deformed and you kind of look away real quick not to catch yourself staring. There was one seat left in first class on the inside of me. And I thought, oh, great. And so as the fellow approached, I could see he had a titanium leg. I could see he was uh, missing a hand and only had a couple of fingers. And when I stood to help him, I said, can I help you with that, that suitcase? And when I did, he turned and the light was on his face and it was Dr. Beck Weathers, famous mountain climber that went up Everest and was captured in that storm. And he said, uh, with these blue eyes, minus eyelids, he said, no, I've got it. And he grabbed, reached down, he grabbed his suitcase and threw it up in the, in the uh, overhead. And so uh, I said, you okay sitting in there? And he just hopped his way right in. And he sat down, had on a pair of short pants, a t-shirt, had some running shoes on. And uh, we took off, and I've had an opportunity to fly around some pretty unique men. And so as we got up, uh, we both asked for coffee. I said, I hope you really don't mind me asking, but if you do, I'll be quiet. And I'll never forget, he turned and he looked at me and he had this glowing smile on his face. He said, no, I'm happy to tell my story. I said, great. I said, I've read your book. I said, we've watched you in the news. And as I'm looking at him in the face, you know, once you, I'm a big one. My dad said, you always, you know, look at a man in his eyes. And so... I looked into his eyes, and he didn't even flinch. And you could see up there, if you remember on the news, they made a nose out of the skin on his forehead. They just brought it down. And so he began to tell the story. He said, what do you want to hear? And I said, uh, I just want to hear that it's real. He said, oh, it's real. And if you remember that story, that, t- that team got captured on Everest, and there he was face down in the snow, and the head guy, one of the greatest climbers uh, that there is in the world, came and found him and turned him over and, and pronounced him dead. And there he laid in the snow. And the team that was left, even those that died, they got back to that tent. They huddled in there hoping to survive that fierce storm. And Big Weathers told the story how laying in that snow, 
What he kept thinking about was his family. And I forget how far it was he crawled. He told me that morning in that airplane as we were riding along and I looked at the scars on his body, the loss of limbs and fingers and eyelids and nose and lips and he was a surgeon. And I said, tell me what you're doing now. He said, I'm living a far more real life as I travel around the world and tell men how to overcome adversity. Every one of us will find a time in our life when we're defeated. Have you ever had somebody mess you up, betray you? You live much of life, you have close friends, colleagues, a mate, your kids, somebody just mess you up. But I find in my own life that it's not those that have messed me up that create the biggest mountains for me to climb. The biggest mountains that I have to climb are because I mess up or I mess somebody up or I betray someone. My friend Ron Lewis that I told you about that laid in the bed and prayed for me on his last night, rubbed my arm and and prayed a blessing on my life that believed in me so much. There was a night that I was discouraged, that Satan was all over me, that I believed that I would, this world would be better off in my family had I not lived my life. It was a dark night of my life. Not only was I a believer, I was a pastor. And I found myself in a very, very dark place. I'd sent my wife and my kids away that night. A friend of me had, friend of mine had told me about how his dad had taken his own life and how he had done it. And so I set a plan in motion. This guy that stands up and teaches and tells people how to have a right beginning and a Right mind, lifestyle, resources, how to have a right kind of heart and vision, leadership. It was a night in my life that I was going to take my life. I was down in St. Petersburg, Florida, and I'd sent my wife and my three babies away, and I just decided the world was better off without me. Sat on the edge of a bed. I'd gotten the shower all ready to go. I wasn't going to leave a mess for anybody. I called 911, put a note on the door, and told the police where I would be. I sat down on the side of that bed, shaking, with a gun in my hand. The phone started to ring. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. It rang and it rang, and I sat there, and I was in such a dark place. I wouldn't answer it, and it started again. It rang and it rang and it rang. I wasn't going to answer it, and it rang and it rang and it rang. I reached over. I picked it up. I didn't even say hello. On the other end of that phone was Ron Lewis, this guy that on his last night prayed a blessing on me. He said, Kirk, I didn't say a word. I was way past sweating, way past trembling, way past turning back. He said, Kirk, is that you? I didn't say a word. He said, Kirk, where are Denise and those babies right now? 
I didn't say a word. He said, are you doing what I think you're doing right now? He said, remember, he lived in Dallas. I was in St. Pete. He said, I was sound asleep and God just woke me up. When he said that, I thought I would throw up this hurt inside of me. He said, you remember this. Right around the corner, there's a new dream to dream. And he hung up. I can remember I fell on the floor, dropped the gun, turned off the shower. I laid on that floor for two days and two nights. It was years before I ever told the story to my wife. This fact, this is the first time I've ever told it publicly. But I have found that men that do well and follow after Christ sometimes can fall under such attack and either be messed up or mess somebody up and get discouraged and allow Satan to whisper in their ear that they really don't count, that it'd be better to, to give their families insurance money than the miserable mess, the knotted reel sometimes that we make of ourselves. When Jesus said through a humble man, right around the next corner, there's a new dream to dream. While we talk about risking our hearts and our leadership and our vision for the kingdom of God, I almost didn't want to teach tonight because I said, how can, how can you get it better, a truth, than what Bill Rhodes said to us today? I work too hard to do it for money. It is for my Savior. And what one of us in what we're being asked of God to do can compare to 17 years. Believing in a dream to get up a dusty, bumpy road and end up in a field hospital called Capsuar. I'd like to read something to you that I find important in my life. And I hope to give you a truth tonight that if there. Maybe I don't know. Maybe God's pressing on my heart because somebody is where I'm talking about being denied or at some degree of that. Or perhaps in the days ahead, somebody's going to get messed up. And you need to be reminded that when you get to that place that Satan took me that night, God forbid. But by the grace of God, you'll remember a truth that a friend that's no longer on this earth gave me. And as I've told you all of these stories... While I have been here, none of them would have happened had that night I believed the lie of Satan, that the world would have been better off without me. The quote I'll begin with tonight, and then I'm going to pray, says, Obedience means nothing unless it's in the face of temptation. <coughs> Courage is irrelevant unless it is found within the context of fear. Let me read that again. Courage means nothing unless it's in the face of temptation. Obedience means nothing unless it's in the face of temptation. Courage is irrelevant unless it's found within the context of fear. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verses 1 and 7, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, 
the same as a thief and a robber. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I have learned that relationships in life are critical. Mates, friends, kids, parents, brothers, sisters in Christ, but especially the Lord. Now these are the thoughts I'm going to give you, and then I'm going to take you to something I mentioned this morning. It was at the mentioning of Peter that all day long I have been in a place of unrest. I dug back into my files and I found this message that I preached in 1991. 1991. It was just six months earlier that I went through that great test. What does Jesus want me to do when I've messed up? What has Jesus said to me in Scripture so I can make sense of it? What has life taught me? If you have a Bible, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Now, Father, you're going to have to help me. don't like telling this story, and I'm weak. I don't know whether it's just that I'm tired and it has been a long journey, or I'm thinking about the flight ahead, or whether Satan is trying to rob me of the energy that I have that I'm trying to depend on in the flesh. But I pray that the Spirit of God would take this weak flesh and would have the victory tonight because if there is one man, one man that has stumbled in here tonight, that has come in here and is discouraged and on the outside is propping himself up, I pray that at the end of this inadequate talk that he might hear words that change my life forever right around the corner. There's a new dream to dream. And I pray that in the days of, uh, that are ahead, if one man falls, that we will not be like so many Christians that are in our country today and eat that wounded brother alive. But I pray that Cornerstone would be a place of grace and grace and grace again. A place of mercy, of kindness, and a place of restoration. Father, help me say now in the next few minutes the simple thoughts that remind us of what you think either when we mess someone up or someone messes us up or when we just make a mess out of life. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 26, I'm going to give you just a few thoughts about Peter. Let's first look at the resolution of Peter. Matthew chapter 26 and verse number 33. Peter replied, even if all Fall away on account of you, Lord. I never will. Verse 35. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the disciples said the same. The resolution of Peter. Resolutions that we make are tested. 
Jesus was a man. He was human. And I want to say to all of you tonight, all of us that are in here tonight, he knows what life is like as a man in San Francisco. But I want to give you a thought because there's not a man in here that hasn't made resolutions, hadn't made promises and broken them. Let me give you some hope. I wrote this thought down in 1991. I read it this afternoon just before I came over. I haven't thought about it for a long time. Resolutions don't reflect our ability. They reflect our heart. Sometimes we keep making promises because we break so many of them. We just give up. Resolutions don't reflect your ability. They reflect your heart. And your Savior knows that. When we stop making resolutions, we stop loving Him. When we stop breaking them, Listen to it. We stop needing him. The resolution of Peter. Lord, I promise I won't deny you. If everyone else turns their back, Lord, not me. Resolutions don't reflect your ability. They reflect your heart. Number two, I want us to look at the the rigor of Peter. Verse 51 I'm trying to get through these points because I want to get to the last one that will light you up. But you've got to go on a journey to get there. Verse 51. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Remember, he said, I'm not going to turn my back. They came to take Jesus. And, uh, and he, Peter reaches out cuts off the guy's ear. You know, people have often said to me, don't just stand there, do something. You live in a city, don't just stand there, do something. I'd like to add to it, do the right thing. You can come to a point that you get so worn. Peter in the flesh, reached out and cut off the guy's ear. I've heard preachers all my life say he did something in the flesh. At least he did something. We're losing our world. We're losing our cities, our countries. It was not long ago, 30 years ago, that the head of my seminary challenged us to capture the cities of America for Christ as young champions. We're losing our cities. Resolution of Peter, the rigor of Peter. Mother Teresa has said, when people criticize you, don't get upset. Just think what they would have said if they really knew you. (laughs) Victories are often told without the stories of losses. So many of you have been so kind to me. Thanked me for being here, knowing that I have to catch the red eye tonight, go speak tomorrow, and Sunday in Florida, shaking my hands, wanted to sit with me at meals, want me to tell these big stories of traveling around and the great things God's done in this world. A victory is only a victory if you know the context of it in the face of a loss. Someone said to me, but I'm always reminded of the losses, the mistakes. It's when I always say to him, well... One of the greatest baseball players that ever lived, before he hit 740 home runs, he had 1,130 strikeouts. 
there are always losses. Resolution and rigor of Peter. Third, the relapse of Peter. The relapse of Peter. Verse 33, 35, and 74. 33, it says, Peter replied, If all fall away on your account, I never will. 35, but Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. All the disciples said the same. Verse 74. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. You know what the greatest sin in a Christian's life is? The arrogant presumption that you can't, that you're above it. First Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, the Bible says, you had best take heed unless you fall. Henry Wink Stanley built the first lighthouse in 1694. He said there was no storm it couldn't stand. A hurricane approached in 1704. He climbed to the top. The storm passed, and there was no Henry Wink Stanley, and there was no lighthouse. The greatest sin is the arrogant presumption that you can't, that you're above it. The relapse of Peter. Fourth, the remorse. Look at verse 75. The remorse of Peter, then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. The old farmer says, sin ain't what you do, but how you feel after you've done it. There's a price tag. Just as he denied him, he heard the, na- the hammer hit the nails that were in his Savior's hands. In Luke chapter 22, verse 60, Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest, and immediately while he spake the cock crow, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter, and Peter remembered. Fifth and last, and this is the one I've got to get to because I feel like quitting just going through this passage. The restoration of Peter. I want you to go back and look with me in Luke, the 24th chapter. Once you get your pen, I need you to underline this because there's going to come a night, maybe maybe nobody to call you on the phone, but I'll, I'm here to tell you, I want you to open, get, this, get your Bible out. I want you to go to a passage you're going to underline. And this is what I want you to remember. This is the... Voice of God calling to you to remind you when you mess up so big that you weep bitterly. Luke chapter 24, verse number 33. Jesus has died on the cross. He's been buried and now He is risen. Then they got up and returned once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven... And those with them assembled together and saying, Is it true? The Lord has risen and has appeared to who? 
Now, here's what we believe when we mess up. We believe when we mess up, we're not any good to anybody. That was the lie that I believed. I'm not good for anybody. I'm not good for this precious wife and these children. My arrogant presumption was that I was above that sin. And Satan sat on my shoulder and he said to me, You're right. And so he laid a plan that I followed. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he had broken bread. He appeared to Simon. And I want to say to you as a man tonight, even if you mess up, he will appear to you again. Why? He believed in Peter and he believes in you. He believes in me. Even though we mess up. Just as I was walking in here tonight, I got an email. So like God. It's from my little girl Ashley, my oldest. It's entitled Guatemala. It says, Hi family, and you daddy. She'll always be my little girl. Huli and I are off to Guatemala tomorrow for a missions trip. We leave early in the morning. We are leading the trip, so pray for those who are going with us. I love you. I can't wait for our family trip this Christmas. It's going to be awesome. Remember what Dad says. When nobody else believes in us, he does. Just before I walked in tonight, I kept trying to do the message that's on the schedule. And God kept saying, I want to remind you of something. There was a night in my life when a little girl crawled up in my lap and said, Daddy, when nobody else believes in you, I do. I look in the face of some of you around these meals and walking around and doing these events, and some of you are struggling. You think you don't matter. You think your life's stuck in a rut and mundane and you got secrets that nobody else has. I want to tell you, there wasn't a worse mess-up. There wasn't a worse embarrassment. There wasn't a more public display of denial than what Peter said. Turn back to Matthew 26 and look at one last thing. I want you to underline this. This is the coolest thing in the whole ridiculous way I'm communicating this message tonight. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31 and 32. This is what i got to get you to circle and put asterisks by and put November, I think, what's today? The 10th? 9th? Today is the 9th. Yeah, Friday the 9th. I want you to put the 9th, 2007, stars around it and circle it because somehow, some way, some of you are going to need this in the days that are ahead. 26.31 Then Jesus told them, This night, very night, you'll fall away in account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, that's what I want you to circle. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. They did not even know what Jesus was about to face. And he said, in three days after I've arisen, I will go ahead and I will meet you guys in Galilee. And who was the first guy that of the men that he appeared to? Simon. He appeared to Peter. 
Resolutions reflect not your ability, they reflect your heart. And he is here by the Sea of Galilee. He has made breakfast. He's waiting on you. And so that night in this whole 6.6 billion people earth, there was one of God's sons that had a right beginning and kind of messed things up. Sitting on the side of a bed and thought his family didn't need him anymore. Holding a gun that close to missing everything that I have been a part of since 1991. There are more memories than I can possibly believe. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, God reached down and he poked the heart of Kirk Nowry's closest mentor. And he didn't say, Lord, leave me alone. He got up and dialed that number in the middle of the night and said, if you're doing what I think you're doing right now, I need you to remember this. Right around the next corner, there's a new dream to dream. Just before I walked in, Ashley sent me the email. And she said, remember what Daddy has said. When nobody else believes in us, he does. God believes that much in all of us tonight. And so you remember this thought when it comes to the risk of coming back. Is it easy? Oh, no. But I've never heard a testimony like Bill Rhodes. Never. Never seen commitment like that. You heard the authenticity in his voice. I think that on this weekend, some of you need to risk a comeback. But the word you need to hear from your Savior tonight is not that you messed up, not that you embarrassed him. But what he wants to say to you is, I'll have breakfast ready for you in the morning, Simon. And when Simon came to his Lord embarrassed, you remember the famous words, There'll come a day when someone else will stretch out your hands and they will take your life because you have been faithful to me. God speaks life and Satan is the father of lies and he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. You need to risk a comeback. Father, thank you for your truth and your grace, and that I can stand here tonight and look at a man with absolute conviction and know in my own life that whether we've been messed up or we've messed someone else up, that I serve a Savior that says, I'll meet you for breakfast in Galilee. Now let's go and change the world. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.